0: I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1st John. We are preaching and journeying through 1st John and we've come to the latter part of the fourth chapter. And John is one of my favorite writers because he speaks on a subject more so than any other writer in the Bible speaks upon this subject, and he speaks upon the subject of love. 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading in verse 7. So with your Bibles open, would you stand with me in reverence of reading God's precious word? The Apostle John, he reminds us of who he's addressing. As he says here in verse 1, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. In other words, he's saying to us that if you're a child of God, you're going to take upon His character. And that character, one of the characteristics of that character is of love. And he says that we who, who love is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this we love of God, oh, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us. That God had sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him. And He is in God. And if we have known and believed the love that God has for us... God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. This is our memory verse. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. We could almost say this is the chapter of love, could we not? John reveals to us that beautiful Beautiful characteristic of God as God being love, that He who loved us first. Father, in Jesus' name, we come and we're so grateful that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you that you have loved us and demonstrated and defined that love to us in a mighty way there upon the cross of Calvary. Father, I pray that today that you would give us an insight of love like we have never experienced before. And Lord, that not only we speak about love, that Lord, that we might experience and express it. May the filling of the Holy Spirit will be upon us here today. And may what we say will bring honor and glory to the precious name of Jesus. May the love of God draw all men closer to you. For we give this as our prayer today for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus we pray, amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If there is one word that everybody seems to be talking about today, it's that word love. They think about it. They write about it. They sing songs about it. You hear songs sung about love almost all the time. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, they say. You're nobody until somebody loves you. I know I'm dating myself a little bit there. (laughs) But uh, some of you know where I'm coming from. But love is such a beautiful gesture that God has introduced to this world. You walk into the bookstores and there, shelf after shelf after shelf, there are books upon love, romantic novels, of love. Many of the best sellers is, is novels on love. You turn on the TV and you watch TV and you see TV shows as the stomach pumps and the brain fries, and people are looking for love. People are desperately talking about love now why is that Psychiatrist tells us that people are in need of three things they need to be wanted they need to be needed and they needed to be loved every one of us have those needs and so therefore when we talk about love we're talking about A thing that we are in need of. There are so many people today that are feeling so unloved. Whether it's been uh, certainly abused by their parents. Or abused by their mates. They have taken what was supposed to be something that is beautiful. And turned it into something that is bad. And they don't understand what love is all about. And therefore, they cannot identify for God so loved them unconditionally. You mean God can love me, what I have done? You mean to tell me God can love me from where I came from? You mean to tell me that God can love me in spite of me? That's exactly what the Bible says. Unconditionally, He loves us. I think it's interesting you go through the Bible and you find Solomon. He wrote more about friendship than any other person. You go through the Word of God and you find Paul. He wrote more about faith than any other person. Jesus taught more about the kingdom of God than any other person. And yet, John as we have discovered as we looked upon the pages of the Scriptures today, he has taught more about love than any other writer in the book. Love. And he, no doubt, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was trying to help man to understand the meaning and the definition of love. Well, my friend, you'll never understand what love is all about until you experience it and you receive it through the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus comes into your life, there all of a sudden manifested right in your midst is this element of love. If you were to go on trial as a child of God, the greatest evidence that would be, that would, depend upon your verdict, would be your love that you have toward God, your love that you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love that you have toward your brother. Let's look at the Scriptures for a few moments. And let's notice what the Bible talks about, how love gives us a sure evidence of who we are. The Bible says in verse 7, Look what he says, beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is of God. And everyone who love, who loves is born of God and knows God. Underline that word, born of God. He is born of God. In other words, two things that is proven about you if you're a child of God. And it is the ailment of love. It proves that you are in the family of God. It proves that I am a child of the living God. God's children are loving children. That's why the Bible says that people will know that you're one of my disciples by the way that you love one another. When I was born into this world, I was born to a man and a woman by the name of Jack and Inez Burris. Now, when I was born into that family, I took upon their nature. There were certain traits about them that I immediately began to exhibit. Well, my friend, I want you to understand that when I was born again, I was born into the family of God. Immediately, there were certain traits about my father that began to be exhibited within my life. The Bible says that God is love. And one of the greatest natures of God that He has demonstrated before us is that He is a God of love. And so, when I was born into the family of God, I took upon His nature... And that nature is love. God is love. Love is not God, but God is love. And so therefore, my friend, that means that everything that God does is motivated by love. When God created this world, He was motivated by love to create mankind to be able to have fellowship with Him and to love Him and to have communion with Him. So, my friend, one of the reasons that God has created you is so that He can love you and show that love to you. One of the reasons He created this world and to express the beauty of this world was to express His love to you and to me. One of the reasons that God created heaven and earth is is that He created that as a gift that you and I might be able to experience. To think about that one day that we're going to heaven, As a child of God, separated from all the sufferings of this world. My friend, that is an an example of the love of God. God loves us. And He created. Well, He even created hell because He loves us. My friend, God never intended for mankind to go to hell. It was God's intention for the devil and all the demons to go to hell. And there to separate us from such a one for all eternity. So, therefore, my friend, I want you to understand: if if I have experienced the nature of God, I have experienced that nature of love, and it proves that I'm a part of the family of God. But not only does it prove that I'm a part of the family of God, it also proves that I'm a part of the fellowship of God. If you want to know how a child of God is to to act, well, my friend, he is going to act like God. And that is that he is going to display his fellowship with the living Lord. Look what the Bible says there in verse 8. He who does not love... Does not know God for God is love. That word know is an interesting word. It does not speak of one intellectually, that he knows God intellectually. But literally what he's talking about is that, is that intimate knowledge that I know him intimately. That I've experienced Him intimately. See, a person may know Him in the head, but it may not know Him in the heart. But if you know Him in your heart, you know Him intimately. There is that intimate fellowship with God. So there's a big difference of knowing about God and knowing God. And if you're knowing God, my friend, you're going to... Know that you've experienced that love. So I may ask you a question today. How much love do you have in your heart? You tell me how much love you have in your heart. I'll tell you how close you're in the fellowship of the, of God himself. Because you cannot have fellowship with him and not experience his love. It automatically, automatic comes forth. And so therefore, Love's sure evidence found there in verses 7 and 8 that I am in the family of God, but I'm also in the fellowship of God. But let's go and look at verse 9. It talks about the love's supreme example. He gives us an example here in verse 9. Look at what he says. In this, the love of God was manifested. Underline that word manifested. Because it says, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world. That we might live through Him. That word manifested literally means to be made known. John is saying that the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is a flashing neon light saying... God loves you every time I see the cross. I am reminded that God loves me and He loves you. Friend, I want you to understand, a man's a fool if he doubts two things. If he doubts the existence of God and if he doubts the love of God. Think about that for a moment. The cross itself is not only a demonstration of love, but it is also a definition of the love of God. The cross. The the cross is defining to us of His demonstration how much He loves me, but it's also defining to me what love is all about. I cannot look at the cross and not be assured of the love of God. You know why? Because of several reasons. You go back to verse 9, and he talks about that that love is a sacrificial love. Listen to what he says there. He says there in um, verse 9, notice what, what he says. That God has sent His only begotten Son. Now, we understand that because the Bible has reminded us time after time after time of the begotten Son. What does the word begotten mean? What is He is defining to us when He uses that word begotten? Does not mean created being. But literally what He is talking about, one of a kind. Unique. None other like Him. That when Jesus Christ was chosen by the Father, the Son, the only one, the unique one, the one of a kind, was chosen to come into this world to take the sins of mankind. He was demonstrating the love that He has for us, the sacrifice. Oh, the sacrifice that the Father was sending and giving to us. He was giving us His very best. You stop and you think about that. When you love someone, in the manner that God loves someone, you don't give them second hand material. But you give them the best. It's a sacrifice. It costs to love people. It costs To love. And my friend, I want you to understand. God was saying, I want you to understand that it cost me. I gave my very best to exhibit before you how much I love you. You stop and you think about it for a few moments. The sacrifice that you display when you love someone. When you love your your family. It costs. It costs for me to love my wife, especially when she goes shopping. (laughs) It costs for me to love my children. It costs me to love because it's a demonstration. And this is exactly what John is talking about here. I remember back in the 60s, there was a hippie generation that was going around and they would have signs that says, make love and no war. Well, my friend, they didn't understand what real love is all about because real love, there is a cost. And there is a sacrifice. And so therefore, love's. Supreme example that God loves us was by the sacrifice that he gave. But not only by his sacrifice, but because of his selfless love. Look what the Bible says also there in verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Real love always seeks to meet the need of someone else. And that's exactly what God has done. Marital difficulty can be summed up many, many times because of selfishness. You're having marital problems? My friend, I I have got the answer to your problems. If you can love and would love that mate in a selfless way, in other words, putting that mate on a higher degree and sacrificing love toward that mate, and both would agree to do that, I promise you, you can have a happy home and a happy marriage. Because 99.9% of most marital problems is out of selfishness. God has demonstrated here, through His precious Word, there's one thing, one thing that He has denied Himself, and that was His love, so that you might experience love. In other words, when I was in deadness, God sent life. When I was in darkness, as we talked about earlier, God sent light. When I'm in doom, God sent His love. Precious love, wonderful love, unconditional love, because it was a selfless love. But not only was it a selfless love, It was a satisfying love. Look what the Bible says there in verse 10, if you would please. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the perpetuation for our sins. Perpetuation. Circle that word. Because I am a sinner and because God is holy, the Bible says that the wrath of God abides upon my sins. Now, God loves me, but He hates my sin. God loves me, but He must judge sin. God loves me, But he must deal with my sin. And how did he deal with my sin? The Bible says he took my sin and laid all my iniquity upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And there upon the cross of Calvary, my sins was laid upon him. And the Bible says that God being holy was satisfied. That the penalty of sin was fulfilled and that the wages of sin was death, God Himself was satisfied. Now, I think it's interesting. God does not primarily, or the Bible does not primarily say that the greatest attribute of God is love, even though that is a great attribute. The primary attribute of God is what we just got through singing about just a few moments ago. And that is what? Holy. Holy, holy, holy. You remember as the scripture teaches us, it doesn't say that God is love, love, love. But the Bible says three times that God is holy, holy, Holy. And my friend, I want you to understand, He loves us, but He hates sin. And He loves us so much that He won't even allow one speck of sin enter into the kingdom of God. He deals with that sin. And so the word perpetuation means that God was satisfied with the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ there upon the cross. It's not only the nature of God to love us, it's the nature of God to hate sin. But let's go a step further. And not only is it a satisfying love, but look also in verse 10, it's a sharing love. Jesus was born into this world in His humanity, but Jesus was sent into this world with His deity. With His deity. God so loved That he was sent his son. God so loved that he gave. In other words, it was a sharing love. He shares with you and I his precious son. If God could not love us without giving something to us, you and I cannot love God without giving something back to him. There's something about giving demonstrates The love of God. Heard about this guy one time. He was a skin flint. He wouldn't give a dime to the Lord to save his life. And every time he'd come to church, he seems like that that would be the very time that the preacher would preach upon giving. And it says like, as he walked out the door and he said to the usher, he says, Give, give, give. He said, that's all I ever hear. And the usher said, Well, that's the greatest demonstration of the love of God that's ever been said is give. And that is so true, my friend. For God so loved, He gave. So, it was a sharing love. But look with me in verse 12. We've talked about for a few moments here, love's supreme example. We've talked about the love, the love's sure evidence But what about love's spiritual essence? Look what the Bible says in verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. And if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been made, has been perfected in us. Has been perfected in us. Look with me what it says in verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Two things I want you to notice here. He talks about love's provision. He says he has given us his spirit. Now there's a difference between the gift of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love is something that is supernaturally produced. It's not something that I can work up. I hear some people say, well, you got to love one another. Well, my friend, unless the love of God is in your heart, you're not going to love that person the way that God wants you to love. So, it's the Holy Spirit of God who lives and dwells within you that produces the love that God wants to be demonstrated in your life. That's why the world cannot understand love. That's why they desperately seek it, because they do not understand it. That's why you really can't love until, first of all, you've experienced the love of God. Did you know you can't make anybody love someone? But friend, let me tell you something. When the Spirit of God comes in your heart and He dwells in your heart in the way that He's supposed to dwell as far as being Lord of your life, you can't help not to love. This is something that is going to automatically be produced in your life. It's the provision of the Holy Spirit of God. Love is something that God not works in you, but He works through you. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, a very familiar passage of Scripture. He says that the love of God has been poured out in our heart. Poured out literally means to be emptied. He has emptied the love of God in your life. That's why, my friend, as a May loving another mate. Well, the Bible says that husbands, that you're to love your wife as yourself. My friend, you can't do that by yourself. You can't do that. The only way you can love your wife as yourself is for God to pour that love through you. See, there's something about self. We love self. We take care of self. We watch over self. We will make sure self is okay. And he is satisfied and his needs are met. But my friend, I want you to understand, to love someone else as yourself, that is supernatural. For me to love my wife as myself, it is that I've got to allow the Holy Spirit of God to love her through me. And as He loves her through me, I am fulfilling a commandment that God has placed upon my life. The Bible says that I am to love my neighbor as myself. How in the world am I going to love my neighbor by myself? I can't. I do it through him. But now he talks about not only love's provision, but he talks about love's profession. Look what he says in verse 14. The Bible says in verse 14, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God... God abides in him and he in God. John put those two verses in there because when a man is full of the Holy Spirit, he's going to not only love his neighbor, love his mate, but he's going to love God. How much do you love God today? You say, I love God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul. Do you really? It's one thing to say it, it's another thing to do it. But see, friend, what John is saying, that you're not only going to love God, you're going to love His Son. You're going to love the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit who gives a man the love for God also gives man a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something about Falling in love with the Lord on a constant basis. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 3 says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There's something about the Holy Spirit who lives in my heart that brings me to a point of an understanding that I'm going to love God's Son. See, it's very simple as this. If you don't love my children, you don't love me. If you abuse my children, you have abused me. If you don't love my wife, you don't love me. And that's exactly what John is saying. If you can't say that I love the Lord Jesus Christ, how can you say that you love God? And the way that we treat His Son demonstrates how much we love the Father. God is no different, my friend. God is no different. But love's possession found there in verse 16 as well, as he says in verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Last of all, let's look at this. Look at verse 17 and following. Love's supernatural effect. It does two things in my life when I think about the love of God for me. It gives me confidence. It gives me confidence. Look what the Bible says in verse 17. Love has not been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Now notice what he says in verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. In other words... I not only have this love that I have for the Father, but I have a holy reverence. I have a holy fear. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think about my dad when I was growing up. Now, I did not fear my dad, but I did fear his wrath. When he said something, he meant it. And when if he said, all right, boy, you're going to get it. You can rest assured, I got it. <laughs> I think about God. I don't fear God to the point that I, I quake and tremble, but I have a holy reverence of him. And that holy reverence... It's because that I have a love for Him. I have a respect for Him. I have a respect. Because He is my Heavenly Father. And to understand that He will not... He loves me, but He will not allow me to abuse His name. Or to abuse that relationship that I have with Him. One of these days we're going to stand and we're going to meet the Father. One of these days we're going to stand and we will stand before a judgment seat of Christ. I ask you a question. Do you fear that? Do you dread that? Could be possibly there's something in your life that should not be there. That's why the Bible says that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That one day that as I stand before His holy presence, that I don't have to dread Him. I don't have to fear Him. I don't have to be in a state of mind of of, uh, a type of fear that something's about to come upon me. But that God loves me. And I have a holy presence with him. So it gives you confidence, but it gives you compassion. Look what the Bible says in verse 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? This is something that I have a hard time understanding. How in the world can a man or a woman say that I love God and yet have bitterness and hatred toward their brother? John said, I can't comprehend it. John says, I can't understand. You're telling me you love God whom you have not seen and yet you cannot love your brother who you have seen? He says it's something that I cannot comprehend. I think it's interesting. Three different times in 1st John, John calls a man a liar. 1st John chapter 1 verse 6 says, "If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth." He tells us in second chapter verse 4, "He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar." And then now, come to chapter 4, verse 20. He says, if someone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, he says, you're a liar. You are a liar. That is very plain language. He says, it's impossible to love God in whom you have not seen. You have loved God who you have not seen and yet hate your neighbor whom you have seen. God has fixed it in such a way that I cannot love him in the manner that I'm supposed to love him and hate my brother at the same time. He has fixed it that there cannot be a relationship that is pleasing to me as the Father would say. You know, there's a lot of men and women today are living miserable lives. They say they love God. They say they're, they're walking in the fellowship of God. But they have fallen out of fellowship with their brother. And they won't speak to that brother. They'll try to bring harm to that brother if they can't. They have bitterness in their heart for, toward that brother. And they wonder what's wrong. I'll tell you what's wrong, my friend. What is wrong is you cannot be right with God and be wrong with your brother at the same time. You cannot do it. And until you get right with your brother, you're never going to get right with your father. That's when the Bible tells us. If you have all against your brother, leave your offering at the altar and go to that brother. Life is too short, people. Listen to me. Life is too short to live a miserable life. And yet there are Christians today, they will live their whole life with all against their brother, with bitterness, hatred, against that brother. Won't speak to him. Won't talk to him. Shun him if they can. And they wonder why I don't have the peace of God that passes all understanding. They wonder why I don't have the fellowship of the Father. He says it's impossible, friend. A supernatural effect that will happen in your life is is that when you fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to make sure you're right with your brothers and your sisters in the Lord. As I'm speaking right now, I wonder, as the Holy Spirit, as He shines a searchlight within our hearts today, I wonder how many would, if they would really be honest, under the sound of my voice today, and I'm not going to ask you to do this, because I don't want to embarrass you or me, either one. But I wonder how many would raise their hand and say, You know, Pastor, there is that one person I don't care nothing about. I've talked about him. I've run him down. I don't like him. And I'm on the verge of hate. I have bitterness in my heart against that person. And I don't care what he does, I'm still going to have bitterness toward him. I have experienced in my life. Well the Bible says if you know a brother has all against you, that you go to that brother. And I have gone to individuals before and tried to make things right. And I have had individuals close the door in my face and say, you know, I don't care anything about making anything right. What do I do then? Well, I feel like I've done my part. I think I fulfilled the responsibilities that the Bible has placed upon me to go to that individual. Now it's up to the individual. And I have seen individuals... who've lived and died miserably because they won't make things right. I believe one of the greatest hindrances to revival in our churches today is where people will not make things right with their brother. How can you say, I love God whom I have not seen and cannot love my brother whom I have seen? How can I do it? I can't do it. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God, if you're in that situation, that he will take a hold of you and squeeze you in a manner that you will break before it's too late. And that you will desperately cry out for reunion and rejoining that fellowship together with your brother as well as with your God. Lord Jesus, I don't know why we allow ourselves come to a point and place will become so bitter and angry toward a brother that we allow that to hinder us. Pride has kept many a man away from the Father. Pride has kept many a man away from the fellowship of a fellow brother. Oh, dear God, what a revival would take place if men and women, boys and girls would come to a point in place and say, I'm sorry, and rejoin that fellowship together. Oh, God, help us to love one another as you have loved us. And demonstrated your love to us. And defined that love by the way of the cross. Help us dear Lord. Work in our lives. To love the unlovable. And to exhibit your character. To all mankind. Father, may your Spirit speak to us today. And may there be a a filling of your Spirit and a movement of your Spirit upon our lives. For we ask this in Jesus, we pray.